This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. I was on the phone with some people from Shondaland, including Betsy Beers, who is Shonda's partner. And she said, you know, we're going to send you the first script. They just said, we just want to warn you that, you know, it is structured a little bit differently and it opens a little bit differently than the book. But in some ways, we need to teach our audience what a romance novel is. And I thought, well, that's interesting. Welcome to Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm Gabby Collins. And I'm Hannah Craig. Today, we're going way behind the scenes and getting next to Julia Quinn to learn about her inspiration for the Bridgerton series of romance novels. And we're going to touch on romance novels altogether. How did a former physician find her voice in Regency lingo? And what was it about this series that led to executive producer Shonda Rhimes getting her hands on them and dropping them right in show creator Chris Van Dusen's lap? You may have heard that Bridgerton is a product of the romance genre and that it's also not your grandmother's Jane Austen nightcap. Dr. Hannah, did you find yourself reading a lot of these romance with a capital R novels and Silver Fork novels? I have a secret love for Silver Fork novels. There was this kind of whole spate of novels that were these exposés of high society life that gave people an inside look on what it was like to be a member of the ton, to go to a fancy ball, to um, go to the pleasure gardens, to uh, be kind of caught up in this world of courtship and scandal. And, you know, they're sort of supercharged and they're coloured with all kinds of illustrations of life. It was sort of this self-publicising world where it became the soap opera of the day to be in these novels. And then there was also these novels where they were publicised as being exposés of real society and that the characters were drawn from life. And one of the games of the book was to try and figure out 
who the characters were. So like the snarky hostess or the powerful woman or the man who was overdressed. You know, who was that in real life? That was part of the game. And so sometimes there's letters that go back and forth as people try and figure it out. Sometimes they get it right and sometimes they get it wrong. And then with the later editions, sometimes they published a key that revealed who they really were. So there's this kind of layer upon layer of suggestion and expose and kind of insight, which makes them fascinating. So it was work. I was working really hard, reading lots and lots of society novels. Yeah, it was very important for my work. (laughs) Most Silverfort novels have a heroine who's got obstacles in her path to true love. There's some kind of sense in which people's true characters are revealed over the course of the story. So people who are rich and corrupt, they get their comeuppance, whereas the people who are honourable and true have the happy ending. And, you know, that is the basic premise of a Regency romance novel as it evolves beyond the Regency era itself. You know, to Julia Quinn more recently, but... Prior to that, we had all these wonderful novels from the 20th century by Georgette Heyer, who is a name which lots of Regency romance writers and readers will be familiar with. There's a long tradition of this kind of writing and about this world and in this style that dates from the Regency time all the way up to the present day. Among the categories and subgenres of romance literature, there's the one we're prancing around in right now, modern or fantasy romance. This subgenre is newer, breaks more rules, and it's beyond just like the Fabio on the cover kind of reference, which is like the man with flowing hair and a unbuttoned shirt on the front of cover of a novel kind of (laughs) thing. There's a lot more to it, a lot more history to it than that. There is a lot of history to the genre and to the style and to kind of positioning these stories in Regency society. I suppose we should also be clear that there are some pretty fundamental differences as well between how the Regency romance is written today or more recently and how it's written by Jane Austen or Georgette Hare. And one is that, you know, our wonderful writers like Julia Quinn do take us closer to (laughs) those moments of intimacy and romantic encounter than was the case um, in previous novels. Last episode, we talked a bit about publishing anonymously as a woman in the Regency era when it came to scandal sheets. But as I understand it, there were quite a few novelists as well, right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, most people have heard of Jane Austen, who's, of course, one of the most famous novelists of all time, not just of the Regency. But there are many other women writers and women novelists who are contemporary to Jane Austen or maybe one of her influences. So women like Frances Burney, Mariah Edgeworth, Mary Shelley, of course, the author of Frankenstein, another kind of well-known name, Lady Charlotte Burry. There's even women who are part of the kind of fashionable world who also toy with the idea of being a novelist. So a couple of decades before Bridgerton is set, we have a very famous woman of fashion, the Duchess of Devonshire, and she publishes a novel that's a kind of high society expose of what her world is like. So there is a sort of tradition behind this idea of the female writer, the female novelist, and sometimes their names have been forgotten, um, but they were certainly very active at the time. There are many women Eloise is looking up to then and Whistledown is just like pushes her over the edge. (laughs) In theory, Eloise could have a whole library of 
literature that is written by women. So novels, plays, poems, magazine entries, ephemera that's published at the time. Um, some of those women are publishing under their own names. Some are publishing anonymously. Mm. Uh, so she could spend every day, day in, day out, reading the words of women, if that's what she chooses to do. And I kind of think that Eloise probably does. There's a lot of reading you can do, Gabby. Whilst you wait for season two, I can send you. I can send you a long list. We can have a Georgia hair quiz. We could probably spend a few episodes unpacking romance literature, right? We're not going to do that here. But I did get a super quick masterclass from author Julia Quinn on the differences between some of the subgenres. The modern romance novel is telling a similar type of story, but using language that is much more accessible to the modern reader. So that's the first thing that kind of changes things up. The second thing is we are creating a bit of an alternate fantasy of the Regency. I mean, if you look at the historical romance genre as a whole, you would think there were a thousand dupes running around Regency England. And not only that, these dukes are all like in their late 20s, early 30s. Almost all of them are unmarried. They are all ripped, really good looking, and none of them have syphilis. You know, little bit of a fantasy around this, this situation. And so, you know, what is the same and what is different? I mean, we there are certain social s- structures and social mores that existed in the Regency that mean I can create some really fun stories that would make no sense today. I mean, stories that if you try to set them in modern times could be solved because I have a mobile phone. It gives you different stories that you can create. And so that's really fun. But, you know, we try to populate these stories with people who think in ways that are familiar to modern audiences. And I think that's what modernizes them a little bit. You can't make them wholly modern, but you can give them some desires and dreams and hopes that resonate with the modern audience. And now we have these modern writers like Julia, who working in that same kind of genre, but now putting a very different kind of, you know, thread through things with um, a much more kind of upfront discussion about sex and romance and stories that we wouldn't necessarily see in the previous novels. So, you know, that was new for me, learning about that kind of world. But um, the context of the Regency world that Julia Quinn works in, that Bridgerton is based in, is one that's very familiar to me. So that wasn't surprising at all. It was just really, genuinely, really exciting, actually, to see that come to life. I always say I strive for historical plausibility (laughs) as opposed to historical accuracy. You know, I'm writing books for a modern audience. And that means my writing style is going to be modern in a way. I mean, if you pick up Pride and Prejudice or any Jane Austen novel, they're not easy reads. The story may be kind of universal, a wonderful love story that is timeless, but the way she crafts her sentences, the way she puts words together do not come naturally toward a modern reader. They're, they're, they take a while and, and it, it's not an easy read. These are all the reasons why The Duke and I and other standouts from the Bridgerton book series hooked executive producer Betsy Beers. I started with obviously the first book in the Bridgerton series, The Duke and I, and I was transported because The Duke and I, it transcends a genre. It's just a wonderful book about relationships and you invest in these characters and the very premise of the series is such a genius concept. I was in awe of Julia Quinn from that point on. So you just know there's a story here, right? I was introduced 
to the book series of the incredibly talented Julia Quinn by none other than Shonda Rhimes, who is and has been a gigantic fan of the Bridgerton series. And quite a while ago came to me and said, oh my gosh, there's this group of books and they're amazing and they, they're in the romance genre. And I thought, wow, that's interesting. I really don't read romance novels very much. Here's Shonda Rhimes. I brought these books in and I was like, look, guys, here are these romance novels. I'm obsessed with them. I want to make them into a series. And I remember like our content team looking at me like I lost my mind. And they were like, romance novels? And I was like, yes, and they're good. We'll be right back. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Welcome back to Bridgerton, the official podcast. Before the break, executive producers Betsy Beers and Shonda Rhimes were getting into how they stumbled across the Bridgerton book series. Here's Shonda on how a vacation in London inspired her to put the roadmap to Bridgerton in showrunner Chris Van Dusen's hands. I gotta be honest, I'm not a person who reads romance novels. I don't think I'd ever read a romance novel before I read the Julia Quinn books. I just had never like jumped into the genre And I probably found it in my hotel room or found it somewhere around and just started reading it. I have to say, like from page one, I knew it was going to be a good book. Julia Quinn has a storytelling style that sucks you in and makes you interested and feels very sort of welcoming and friendly. And you can feel sort of feel yourself in the books. I don't care who you are. You see yourself in these books. And so I think I read all eight Bridgerton books as quickly as they came out or as quickly as they were there. Like however many were out already, I read them. And then I read the rest of them and then they got out. And I knew I liked them a lot from that moment. I don't think I thought immediately this is a series, but I went to London with my sister and my kid and we were sort of in London having a good time. And I remember looking around, we were walking around Mayfair thinking, 
this would be such a great series. Like it's so lush and perfect and exciting and imagining what it would be like and thinking like this could be great. And then everybody read them and they got really into them. And then it was cool to just go from book to saying, I think Chris should be the writer on these. I probably said something to him earlier, but what I remember when we had the real conversation is he was in my office and I was like, okay, these are the books. And he was like, he did not blink. He didn't go, you want me to write a bunch of romance novels? He looked at them and he was like, these look interesting. And I said, yeah, go read them. And I think this could be a series that you could really do well on. And he went and read them right away and came up with like a real take and an opinion about them right away. I knew that these books were beloved going into this project, and that was something that definitely provided a healthy amount of pressure for me. You know, the feedback from the fans has been really encouraging, and I know that they are so excited to see this adaptation, and I'm just as excited to share it with them. So there were a few things that I wanted to be sure we got right from the start for them. One of the most important things for me was capturing the spirit and the essence of the Bridgerton family. I wanted the adaptation to show you the way that the siblings banter, the way that the brothers joke with each other, the way that Violet, this powerful matriarch, loves her family with that fierceness and would do anything for her children. And it's, of course, the story of Daphne and Simon, which is, that is the bedrock of the first season. This moving, sweeping romance and has so many twists and turns and it's it gets really, really steamy at points. And, and I wanted that to really translate to the screen for viewers. Part of the reason why I think nobody has done this type of adaptation before, why romance novels, and in my case, historical romance novels, have not been adapted for film or television, is that it is a genre that is written primarily, although not exclusively, but primarily by women. It's read, again, primarily by women. It's edited primarily by women. And I think that, you know, you have this film industry where up until recently, and still in large part, it's the men making the decisions. And women's work and women's joy, they have never been valued the same way as men's work and men's joy. And interestingly, those are themes that I think come across in the books as well, and also in the series. What does it mean to be a woman in 1813 England? What are you allowed to hope for and dream for? What defines your success? What can you do if that success is denied to you in some way? What tools do you have? Where can you find your power and your agency? I think that all plays out in the series in in some interesting ways and in some startling ways, too. There's always going to be differences from the source material with any adaptation, but I do believe fans of these books are going to see those elements that they love on screen as well. It was also about introducing new characters in the adaptation for me. We have Queen Charlotte, who is a new character to the series, and she's really opened up the world for us, and we get to explore some fascinating stories with her. We also dive into the kinds of love stories we're telling for other characters, like Anthony and Benedict and Colin. We do a lot of work in the first season setting up their romances and setting up their stories for hopefully in success future seasons. Bridgerton is not just about the Bridgertons. I wanted this show to be about a world and, and about an entire society. I asked Julia to tell me a little bit more about the adaptation from her perspective. 
Now, I was not in the writer's room, but I knew that they were working on it. And so I was basically just kind of waiting and waiting and just so excited to see what they were coming up with because I really didn't know. I gave up creative control fairly early on in the process, mainly because I am not going to be the person to tell Shonda Rhimes how to make television. Maybe if it had been someone else, I wouldn't have basically said, take it, (laughs) do what you want. But, you know, when you have such smart people, you trust them. And, and I just decided, you know, boy, she's smart. She is successful. She knows what she's doing. And I don't, I haven't written for television. I, I'm not going to tell them how to do it. I'm going to trust that they know what they're doing and that, that they love the world and the project as much as I do. I mean, and it's this grand, wonderful love story. But Hollywood has done romances. I mean, maybe they haven't done a romance novel, but they've done love stories. And showing all these relationships that these characters have with other people is so important because we're the sum of all our relationships. Because, you know, there is there's prestige attached to that. And you could be the person to take Jane Austen and put a fresh new spin on it. You know, somebody's going to call you a, a brilliant visionary. And uh, so that's what was happening. And nobody was looking to contemporarily written historical romance novels as source material. What do you think about this, Hannah? What do you think about what Julia is saying about adapting contemporary romance? You've worked on quite a few period dramas. I think adapting any novel is a challenge because people feel so strongly identified with a character that you carry in your head and, and you create an imaginary world when you're reading. And whenever you put a book on a screen, whether it's Jane Austen or or any other story, you have to try and capture what's in people's imaginations. And um, so the world might somehow look different to how it was when you read a book, but then it becomes meaningful its own way. You you find the characters that you love and you follow their story and um, somehow they begin to appear as, as you imagine them. Well, that's what happens for me anyway when I see a story that I love adapted for screen. It's first, it was like, oh, did I think it was going to look like that? And like, oh, actually, yeah, that does, it, it, it does look like that. <laughs> that is the world that's, that's coming to life. And you become drawn into the visual narrative that you see on screen rather than just your own interior kind of imagination of that world. Is Bridgerton the way you thought it was going to look? I guess it's for the fans, really, of the novels to decide if it feels like their Bridgerton. Um, it certainly feels like the Bridgerton world that I'm familiar with, having seen the production come together and, you know, now read the novels alongside that work. We'll be right back. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. 
Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Welcome back to Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm Gabby Collins, and I'm your guide behind the scenes of Bridgerton. So I've been taking you inside Shonda Land to talk to executive producers Betsy Beers and Shonda Rhimes, Chris Van Dusen, and Bridgerton book series author Julia Quinn. As we stated earlier, there is so much to unpack. So we're just bringing you the best moments from our conversations. Let's get back into it. So right before the break, Julia Quinn was talking about how she and her romance novel peers didn't really think of their works being adapted for television, which after you talk to Betsy Beers and Shonda Rhimes, you're like, of course we would be making these into TV shows. Well, I think the question we're all going to be asking ourselves now is why haven't we done this before? Yeah, maybe. You know. Shonda Rhimes realised that there's this world of Regency romance that is rich and exciting that draws people in. And now it seems baffling that we haven't we haven't done this before. Why haven't we had all this world of these amazing Regency romance stories on the screen? Because it's almost like they're written for that visual appeal. They're all about the kinds of drama and excitement and escape and romance and all those elements that make great television. Right. And something about those elements that make great television, there's a parallel between how Regency novels kind of have this in-between-the-lines lust and longing, especially historical romance novels. You know, Julia kind of slaps us in the face (laughs) with some of the I've never blushed when I've read a Jane Austen, but I've blushed when I've read a Julia Quinn. (laughs) Uh, Sexual undertones. But I think there's a parallel between the way those subtleties come through and the way Shondaland's writers have those same kind of subtleties come through in the stage directions. And then there's yet another parallel and another reason why Julia Quinn's Bridgerton book series was such a great match for Shondaland, which is womanhood in its portrayal, kind of flipping that on its head or just challenging some mainstream ideas. Here's what Julia Quinn had to say about that. You know, as much as we celebrate a woman's right to say, hey, you want to be president of the United States, you should be able to do that. You want to be a Supreme Court justice. That's extraordinary. And that's fabulous. But I never want that to tell women who want to stay home and raise a family that that is not just as important and just as valid a choice. So to me, Feminism isn't so much about the choice you make, but about your ability and the right to have that choice. And so I really wanted to celebrate somebody whose choices were, again, more conventional and more regular and weren't breaking the mold. 
And and I love to hear about the women who do break the mold, but I, I also want to hear about the women who fight for something in, you know, the smaller confines of their lives and win. You know, the women who perhaps aren't going to end up in the history books, but who win nonetheless. It's so different from what we see so often today. When I was creating Daphne, I wanted to create somebody who was in many ways conventional because I feel it's important to say or to stress that it is okay to want conventional things. It's also okay to want unconventional things. But I think so often that we celebrate the trailblazers and and we should celebrate the trailblazers that we ignore the stories of the people who aren't necessarily the trailblazers. I sort of think of it this way, you know, the trailblazer would be that woman who's on top of the parapet storming, you know, the castle, waving the flag. Well, Daphne would be the woman who was there 50 years earlier, carefully removing a brick in the wall so that when the trailblazer gets there, she can knock the wall down a little bit more easily. And I find it fascinating to write about those women too, the ones who are having the quiet victories, because I think they are so important. So I wanted to write about this person who actually wanted out of life the things that society said she should and could want. Because there's nothing wrong with that. You, you know, sometimes you get lucky and what you want is what society tells you you should want. And she lives in a society that tells her that what she should want is a family and, and, and children and to make a good marriage. Well, she wants that, but she also wants something that society doesn't exactly tell her to want. She wants a husband who she will love and who loves her in return. And she wants a happy family. And these are things that she has had in her own life. So she is somebody who is incredibly important. She, she has lived a life that has shown her the absolute best of what she could hope for within the framework of what society is telling her. So that's how I created this person who was fairly conventional in these ways. And then I thought, okay, what happens if you have somebody who actually wants what society is telling her to want? And she thinks she's getting it, but then she doesn't. And so that's kind of where the story takes a bit of a turn. Romance is always seen as some kind of frivolous or lesser field of, of writing or study but you know I think to do that is a great disservice to a world that is based on a strong literary tradition that there is a legacy of writing that's set in Regency society of very great novelists from Jane Austen onwards some very successful important writers who've made a huge cultural contribution and that includes recently Julia Quinn and of course, you shouldn't underestimate the amount of, of scholarship that underpins those books. So um, the amount of research that goes into them. And one of the reasons that historians are very comfortable reading Regency romance is because it is a world that's familiar, because it's a world that's rooted in research. Um, it's not so highly fictionalised that it exists as a kind of science fiction world that's totally separated from reality. It is rooted in historical knowledge and information. And that's why historians are drawn to it as well. Most historians I know have read Georgette Heyer. I think most of them, quite a few of them have read Julia Quinn. I think a lot more are reading now if they've kind of been, been reading the earlier classics um, until until Bridgerton. Um, and so it's rooted in, 
in historical knowledge and information. And, you know, Regency romance writers do a huge amount of, of work to make sure their world rings true. Um, so I think as a historian, I would say thank you for doing that, because it means that historians enjoy that, enjoy that storytelling as well. Julia, I was wondering if you've ever even thought or imagined your books being turned into a Netflix series. The answer is a definitive no. And and not not because, you know, of like my dreams being small. It's not that. It's not that at all. Well, what what was going on in your mind? That nobody was making historical romances into television series or films anyway. You know, I have friends, when when this became public, people would ask me, they said, oh, did you shop the series around? And I said, no, it fell in my lap. They came to me. And, you know, it's not, I sort of joke saying like, I never thought it would happen to me. I feel like, you know, I'm on some sort of infomercial. The truth is, I never thought it would happen to anyone in my genre because um, no one was doing it. If somebody wanted to do a period piece, they wanted to do Pride and Prejudice again. So, no, I never thought it would happen. What were your first impressions when you first visited the set? When I visited the set, people kept asking me, what's it like to see your characters come to life? And I realized that's not really the right question when you're on the set. Because what was really getting to me were how many people were involved. And it was just, it was kind of incredible to realize that this entire family almost small village had come together to create this this piece of art or this television series, whatever you want to call it. And it was just so profound in a way and, and humbling and awesome. And I talk a lot about how film is just a more collaborative medium than books. And when you get to a set, you really realize it. I mean, there's just, there's so many people bustling around. I didn't know what half of them were doing. They all look terribly busy. And so that was, to me, just incredible, absolutely incredible that all these people were working on it and all these people were bringing something of themselves to it. That's what I love about the television show so much is that it's just such an expansion on what I started. Then when I actually watch the show, that's when you're really seeing your characters come to life. And that is just amazing. I don't have words and I write words for a living. I can't think of a better way to conclude our short feature of Julia Quinn. Thank you, Hannah, for joining me and taking me on this ride through Regency romance novels. Thank you, Gabby. It's been a lot of fun. So, And thank you, Bridgerton and Julia Quinn, for this world. And thank you, listeners, for sticking with us to the end. Make sure you check back with us next week for more from Behind the Scenes of Bridgerton. Bridgerton, the official podcast, is executive produced by Lauren Homan, Sandy Bailey, Holly Fry, and me, Gabrielle Collins. Our producer is Chris Van Dusen, and our editor is Vincent Dejani. Thanks for listening. Bridgerton, the official podcast, is a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from Shondaland Audio, check out the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere you download your favorite shows.